I have a question. What does power mean to you? For me, power means people coming together to fight for what's right and bringing about change for the better. To me, power is authority over someone or a group of people. It can be good or bad based on how it's used. In the past and today, there is a way to show how different communities, leaders, and individuals understand and represent power. Hi, I'm Liana. I'm Caitlin. I'm Elizabeth. And we're the museum ambassadors at the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. As we talk more about three works of art in the museum's collection, through the lens of wealth, privilege, and power, think about how these ideas are relevant today. Whoa, look at that star in the center. It's so bright compared to the rest of the painting. Why are there people in chains on the bottom? Wait, purple and yellow are complementary colors. I wonder why this artist chose to use them. These thoughts were going through my mind when I first looked at this oil painting called Aspiration by Aaron Douglas. I was curious as to what Douglas was really trying to tell his audience and why these elements were painted. This piece is part of a mural cycle that he painted to represent the lives and journeys of African Americans. The importance of looking for hope and towards a better future can really be read through the title, Aspiration, and through the way the figures are shown in this piece. Now, take a second and put yourself in this painting. Imagine you are one of the standing figures, pointing towards the star. Each figure holds something different. One holds a book, the other holds a compass and a ruler, and the last holds an Erlenmeyer flask, a piece of equipment used in chemistry. You have the tools to take action and speak up for yourself and those around you. The idea of agency and using one's voice is still prominent today, as it was in the past. Aaron Douglas played a very important role in the Harlem Renaissance. He found that other African-American artists needed to be proud of who they were and to embrace their background. Aspiration and the mural panels were painted for the Hall of Negro Life in the Texas Centennial Exposition in 1936. Douglas wanted to portray what life was like through the perspective of African Americans. The work was also meant to advocate for equality for all and the ending of racial violence. Douglas himself experienced racism and discrimination while working at a Cadillac plant in Detroit. I gained a lot more respect for him and his work because it takes a lot of courage to speak up and inform others of injustice and equality. In fact, while these paintings were on display at the exposition, many people were shocked to learn that the artist who made these paintings was African-American. The main elements that I saw in this piece were the standing figures, the bright star, the building, and the wrist with shackles. The star that the figures are pointing towards could represent the North Star and Path to Freedom. The raised, shackled wrists on the bottom of the painting represent enslaved people and their struggle to gain freedom. Next, the image of the woman holding a book symbolizes knowledge. The figure was painted in purple to reference royalty and African-American pride. The other two figures embody new ideas and beliefs during the Harlem Renaissance. I imagine Douglas painted the mural with so much passion because he had put himself in this painting, his hopes and his struggles. To me, this piece also portrays the fight for agency and self-determination. Personally, I see this idea through the standing figures. They look as if they won't back down for what they fight for. I gained a whole new perspective on aspiration after talking with organizer and student Layla Baugh. 
Layla talked about how the idea of change and reformation can be found in this piece. I think when talking about Black people in America and people of color in America and oppressed people in general, when they speak to that narrative of optimism, I feel like the thing that gets my my fire going is the idea of rebuilding. And I think every inspirational Black person has talked about this idea of reconstruction and rebuilding. And that is... Uh, that requires a deep understanding, which then sort of embodies the hope that I was referencing. <laughs> she also talked about the female figure and how it relates to women in society today. Well, I feel, you know, this interpretation of the female figure sort of allows for us to have a new interpretation of this image in today's context, because we see a lot of women um, and, and women across all spectrums of society, right? Like we have trans women, black women, um, indigenous women really coming to the forefront of today's movement, which has sort of been a really quiet aspect of our political history. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Black women specifically have been at the forefront of revolutionary thought specifically, not necessarily the mobilization that we see in our communities, but um, this idea that you have to really go to the bottom of the barrel of society in order to make sure that you pull everybody up. Her comment really stuck with me because fighting against misogyny and advancing women's rights is still something we struggle with today. Women have always and still are important figures in working towards civil rights. Next, Leanna will be exploring the importance of the chief's chair, an object that symbolizes authority within a community. How does power affect the lives of communities, both past and present? To what lengths are people willing to go to obtain status and privilege? Rulers come and go, but the chair remains as a symbol of authority. What does the chair mean to you? This object, the chief's chair, is significant in the Chakwe community. Expressing power in the community, the chief chair is made for the Mwanta, but is not used for seating like most chairs. The chair was placed in front of the Mwanta to remind the people of the relationship between the people and the chief. I'm Elizabeth Cameron. I'm a professor in the history of art and visual culture at the University of California at Santa Cruz. So it belonged to a Mwanta, and it was, he didn't actually sit in it. Um, it was set in front of him or beside him in formal ceremonies as a reminder to people who saw it uh, of um, how the chief would take care of them or the Mwanta would take care of them and what their responsibility to the Mwanta was. So it goes both ways, both the Mwanta's responsibility and the people's responsibility. It is carved out of wood and is engraved with figures and heads. Seeing the chair, I first noticed the large figure of head wearing a headdress representing leadership. In the center back of the chair, there is one figure, one face, that has a very sort of square headdress. This particular design represents Chihongo, which is a masquerade figure or a, a likishi that appears during boys' initiation ceremonies. Curious as to why the figures were placed on the chair, I learned that the figures were used in special initiation rites. 
The two antelope horns on the top of the chair symbolizes fertility of the land. The back of the chair represents the spirits of ancestors, which shows authority over local communities. The two figures on the right and left flanking Chihongo are Mukunsa. They are representations of bush spirits, of ancestors uh, brought to life, but representing the uncivilized. They do um, represent the fertility of the land. The Chakwe community is located in Central Africa and covers a large number of countries. Politically, the Chakwe people are grouped into small communities. There's a paramount Mwanta who is above all other chiefs. The leader is chosen from a group of eligible candidates by a group of wise older people. The person in possession of the specific chair was a ruler of a small part of Angola. Among the Chakwe people, what somebody sits on reflects their status in the community. Somebody of low status in a community might sit on the ground or on a skin or a mat. And it's only when somebody gains status in the community that they are given chairs to sit on. The chair reminds me of how crowns are significant in European monarchies. Power in the Chakwe community is inherited from the maternal uncle. The religious belief in the Chakwe community centers around a relationship of respect, worship, and living with the ancestors. The Mwanta is said to be the representatives or go-between with the ancestors who are able to control health and fertility of the land. Works of art like carved objects are said to be spiritual. For example, the chief chair connects the chief to the ancestors, making it a symbol of power. Because of this, the chair reflects the power of the ancestors and also the people. It is a reminder of the Mwanta's responsibility for the people. But as a visual reminder to them of what the Mwanta could give them, how the Mwanta could support them. So their approach to it would be one of respect, but not necessarily of fear. Other objects, such as baskets and masks, are also spiritual and can connect people to their ancestors. Their belief enables them to view the chair as a sacred spiritual object. What object represents power in your community? In the Christian tradition, St. Francis of Assisi was a saint and was known for trading his life of luxury for a life of modesty to become closer to God. This sculpture, made by Bernardo del Rincon, depicts St. Francis based on a description of a visit to the saint's tomb over 200 years after his passing, with his body upright, eyes opened, heavenward, hands concealed and stigmata bleeding as though freshly inflicted. Bernardo del Rincon used painted wood, rope, and glass to create a representation of the saint. The knots represent the core values he and his followers believed in, poverty, chastity, and obedience. His glass eyes are looking upwards and his mouth is slightly opened, as if in shock or amazement. To add to his plainness, he has a simple robe on with different patches of brown. His hands are clasped together and he is barefoot. 
This suggests the simplicity and humbleness of his life. St. Francis was also the first saint to receive stigmata, the wounds on his hands and feet similar to Jesus Christ when crucified. According to Thomas Wu, curatorial assistant for European decorative arts and sculpture at the Fine Arts Museums, the sculpture depicts a bloody wound or stigma on St. Francis's right chest, which Wu believes signifies his suffering and endurance. It's not a very glaring uh, detail. The, the wound is, is not fully revealed. It isn't gushing blood. Uh, there isn't blood seeping into the fabric of his robe. Um, and yet I think that discretion has quite a bit of power, that it's, uh, he wasn't um, one to display his suffering overtly. Rather, he, he bore it quietly um, with, with genuine endurance. St. Francis's hardships can be understood through careful looking of the sculpture and can be made more clear when learning his story. When I initially saw the sculpture of St. Francis, I thought he was someone who lived his life of modesty out of necessity, but it was quite the opposite. I believe that St. Francis, who was known for partying and drinking as a youth, was lost in life before finding God. Like his father, St. Francis was supposed to be a merchant. Uninterested in cloth trade, he wished to be a knight. At the first chance, he joined the war during which he was imprisoned. After being in jail, he received a vision from God, which he took literally. He would fix the Christian church and live his life in poverty, giving him his purpose. St. Francis, after leaving his father in life of luxury, put on a used robe and never looked back. In doing so, he developed a deep love for nature and became the patron saint of animals. I was surprised by how easily he gave up his worldly possessions. I think this was so easy for him because he finally knew what he had to do with his life. Thomas Wu believes that during the coronavirus pandemic, many people can relate to what St. Francis went through. I think many of the virtues that he embodied and uh, inspired in his followers through the centuries, um, sacrifice, optimism, endurance, are qualities that people have had to really rely upon during the coronavirus pandemic. We've all had to make sacrifices, um, whether that be uh, staying home in order to protect others, social distancing, uh, or those who are on the front lines, doctors, nurses. Though he was materially powerless, he had many followers who believed in his teachings and lived in poverty as well. He also died a saint, which is considered high status for those of the Christian faith. His values are still followed today, which emphasizes being selfless and modest. Wu talks about how even though St. Francis most likely did not want authority, through his sacrifice to God in humility, he gained a lot of it. Power isn't necessarily only for those who are rich, but can be gained when living an honest life like that of St. Francis. The three objects we looked at represent different kinds of power and how it influences the lives of people in their communities. Yeah, today we can see people fighting back for rights and equality. Protesters all over the world are creating art, like murals and photographs, as a tool to fight against injustice. How can you use your power and engage in issues you believe in through your voice 
and creativity.